0: When you look at it and look at the context of the family history and you realize that some of those people are gone or were gone not too long after the picture was taken, it somehow makes it, I don't know, makes you actually sort of teary in a historical sense. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler.
1: Hi guys, welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to create a book, a movie, an audio or some other creative project to share their memories and their life stories with their family and friends and with future generations. And today I'm really excited about our guest because I have never heard of anyone else who does exactly what she does. I'd like to welcome Maureen Taylor, the the photo detective. So the Wall Street Journal calls her, and I'm quoting here, the nation's foremost historical photo detective. You may have heard her podcast of the same name, or you may have seen her regular column in Family Tree magazine. She's also the author of several books, including Family Photo Detective, Learn How to Find Genealogy Clues in Old Photos and Solve Family Photo Mysteries. Maureen, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Amy. Happy to be here.
1: Good. I am so excited to have you here just because, you know, any of us who work in the life story business, we deal with photos. I think it's a fascinating thing that you do where you're helping people discover things about the photos that they didn't know. So why don't you start by telling us um, how you got started as a photo historian?
0: (laughs) It's a long time ago now. (laughs) So when I was a kid, my mom used to take out boxes of photographs, and she would talk to us about them. I think it was her way of reminiscing about events from her childhood, because I don't have a whole lot of super old photos. I just have photos. Most of my photos are within my mom's lifetime. So we would talk about them. And every time we talked about them, she would tell a little bit more of the story behind each picture or tell a related story. And I would always be like, wow, that's a great hat, or look at that dress, or wow, where was that house? You know, I was into the details. And then I worked uh, after college as a curator of all non-print materials at a historical society. And I was doing genealogy part of the day and the photo stuff part of the day. And the people who would come in and ask about their genealogy would never say, do you you have a photograph of my ancestors? They would just move on. They just were interested in whatever they could find in books or census records or things like that. And I was, as a curator, I would look at these photographs and I would think, there's a whole lot more here. You know, you really need to pay attention to this. But no one did. And then I decided to go off on my own and see what would happen (laughs) with it all. And I never really thought about how many photographs there were out there in the world. I mean, as a curator, I knew that there were a lot of pictures, obviously. But I didn't realize how many unidentified photographs that people owned. And thus, I'm now the photo detective.
1: I have to say that in my collection of family photos, it would the question would be how many are identified because really I think there are probably, you know, maybe 1% that have some sort of labels or identification and, and it can be a heartache. I'm sure that you experience that with clients who reach out to you. I mean, you have all of these great old photos and you don't know a thing about them. Um, is that why people come to you for your help? Or, or do some of them have more sophisticated questions? You know, maybe they have a family member who is in uniform and they want to know what rank they were or things like that.
0: My clients come to me for all sorts of photo-related issues. The most obvious, of course, is I have this photograph and it's really bothering me and I want to know who's in it. But other people know who's in the photograph, but they want to know what's happening in the hmm. picture. So I have a background in history, I have a master's degree in history and uh, lots of coursework with library science and, you know, related things. I'm always taking classes here and there for whatever, like, strikes my fancy that might be related to solving photo mysteries. And some people are just like, what are they wearing? Or where was this taken? Was this taken in overseas or was this taken here? You know, what else can you tell me about this photograph? It's about getting, I'm not going to say obsessed because that's sort of has negative connotations. (laughs) But I will say that in your family photo collections, there are photographs that seem to reach out and grab you. And those are the ones that people come to me with. For whatever reason, is this my great-great-grandfather? Does he look like this person? You know, are they the same people in the photos? It can be anything, like seriously, anything that that strikes somebody's interest in, in having me weigh in on their photo mystery. And often, like this weekend, for instance, I was at a conference and a woman came up to me with an image and she said, these are the funniest hats I've ever seen. What can you tell me about the hats in these pictures? And I said, have you looked at the background? I said, what's happening behind them? I said, the major question for me is not what are their hats, but where are they standing? What's that building with the the door columns behind them? Where could they be? And she goes, I never even saw that.
1: I'm guessing you get a lot of that, where you're picking up on things that the people who own the photos have never even thought to look at. Well,
0: you become, I guess photo blind, Mm -hmm. you see what you want to see in a picture or you see only the people and not the other stuff that's happening all around. But, you know, as a personal historian, it's the whole total of what's happening in that picture. And then the addition of the clues that you might find when you do some research that add up to tell the story of the picture. And I believe that every picture does tell a story. It may not be a super dramatic story, but it's a story. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, that's interesting because I was just reading something yesterday about um, how our minds see things in patterns. And, you know, that's when we're writing as well. Um, It's, we, we, we read a passage about something and it establish a pat it establishes a pattern in our, in our head. So that's why in writing, there's all kinds of shortcuts. Um, you don't have to explain that what you just saw passing you on the street had a fender and four tires and, and a windshield. You can say it was a truck, right? Um, and what you're talking about a little bit is when we look at photos, um, especially the ones that are, that appeal to us, um, we're seeing the patterns that are important to us. So we are seeing our grandma, maybe, um, as a young woman. And what you're able to do then is to sort of disassemble the pieces or see them separately. Something that we're seeing as a whole and the parts that we're focusing on as a whole, you're able to, just like you said with that woman, you know, what are the columns behind you and what does that tell you about this story? Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's fascinating Um partly because I'm not very visually inclined. So it's a, it's a, a talent that I don't think that I sure don't have. And there's probably a lot of people who are just personal, you know, their own family historian that don't have that too. So talk a little bit about the the photos where people are asking you about family resemblances. I, I know you just recently had Rachel Rifkin on your podcast, yeah. and she is she's a fellow life story professional. Um, but I, I laughed out loud when I heard what she did, and I think this was a few years ago. It was it was ingenious, but it was also just sounded like a lot of fun. She had several old photos of family members and she dressed up like each of them and posted them side by side and the family resemblance was striking and even in a couple of cases it was a man so I don't know if it was her grandfather or you know great uncles but the she she managed to stage the photos so that she looked exa- I mean almost exactly like the people that uh, were in her family. Now is that something that you are asked a lot about, like where people say, hey, I think this might be an aunt and, you know, I have other pictures where she's identified and some that I are not labeled, but maybe it's the same person?
0: Yes. And, you know, I think you're right about the patterns that you were just talking about and how we see the patterns in our photos. And what I do is take those patterns apart and, and give my clients a new way of looking, mm-hmm. a new way of seeing, and then you put it all together again. You put the pattern back together. It's like
1: right. It's just changing perspective a bit. It's right? changing
0: perspective. I encourage my clients to change their perspective, mm-hmm. and that's where the big reveals come in. Uh, as far as facial, you know, comparisons go yes i am asked a lot to look at photographs and weigh in on whether or not i believe that these two people are the same person generally this comes up with individuals who have gone to a random antique shop and think that they have bought uh, some wild west character or you know famous outlaw or you know generally a famous person that they're hoping that this will uh, it's like a lottery ticket, I guess you could oh. say. <laughs> I think of them as, as sort of random lottery tickets. And so people will come to me with their family photos or these photos that they buy and they want to know if I see the family resemblance. And that's, again, is about paying attention to the details. You know, are their noses exactly alike? Are their eyes the same? Are there? Where are their eyebrows? What about the spacing? There are all these points in the face that photo recognition software uses. That's how Facebook it tags our faces. How iPhoto works? You know, it recognizes these points in our face. And if you're, you have to be. Not everyone can see faces, and not everyone can see details in pictures. And you're right, not everyone is a visual person. I am a hypersensitive visual person, I guess you could say. Um, And pretty, probably pretty much have been my entire life. But just this past weekend, again, I had a woman come up to me and she said, I cannot see the difference in people's faces. She goes, Mm. I just don't see them. So,
1: I, think, I think there might be some Oliver Sacks um, essays about people like that. Like there is, there's actually some neurological mm-hmm. um, disorders that can cause that. I'm assuming she didn't mean that, but probably just in general, she wasn't good at differentiating faces. Is that right?
0: Right. But there's a test you can take online and it's kind of interesting. And I don't have the link for you right now and right at this moment, but i can send it to you and so there's a link you can take and a test you can take you click the link and it gives you famous faces and it asks you you know some questions like what do you recognize and not everyone gets it right
1: oh interesting so there are people I, who
0: are fa- it's called face blindness
1: now i've seen something online where Uh, I think it was online or maybe it was in a book where it took just photos of people's eyes. So just, you know, kind of a long strip um, with the eyes and I believe the eyebrows. And it asked you to say, to match up each photo with the emotion that was being displayed. And that I had no problem with. And I thought that was really interesting because it's the you know, it's the subtleties, I, I guess, especially in the eye area and the eyebrow area um, that relay so much nonverbal language. Um, and that, you know, but if you ask me to go pick up my car, if there's, you know, my car is a silver little SUV. And if there's two or three nearby, I I, I have to use my clicker to see, to see which one beeps at me. You know, I, so I, I can't do that at all. Um, but the facial expressions, I can pick out and I'll have to look for the link to that because that's a fun one too. Um, it's and it's a also like, yeah, and it's a good skill just if you are a life story professional and you're sitting doing an interview with somebody to be able to read those facial expressions. I mean, this is getting outside of the the purview of, of photos, but um, if we could read those expressions, then it will guide us to the next question because maybe we'll see that somebody, you know, we've hit, we've hit on something that is poignant or, joyful or sad and you know it, it's a good thing so that you can follow up on certain stories um but so so facial recognition um i'm assuming that uh it goes beyond just the face like uh i think you talk a little bit about cowlicks and and maybe where hair is parted and things like that um does that go into helping you identify people across separate photos
0: There are lots of things that help me identify people across different photos. And, you know, that's one of the things I did in my course is talk about all the ways that you can identify a photograph. But then facial recognition and facial comparison can't be done in a bubble. So you can't say these two people are the same or different until you take apart those clues and make sure you've put them in a time frame, make sure you've looked at everything, especially. I mean one simple clue, pay attention to eye color. Do they have the same color eyes? That can be something that's misleading. And when you were talking about all those eyes and reading the emotion, there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that happens in family photos that goes way beyond just what type of photo it is and where it was taken and who took it. You can see sometimes family dynamics are there in, in some of these pictures.
1: Give us an example of that. What, ha- what uh-huh. have you seen? I mean, I'm thinking of old photos where people were, you know, didn't even smile. So, But you can probably read a lot more into things, you know, read a lot of what's there than I can. Yeah, I mean,
0: photographers posed people, right? They told you to sit and they would tell the wife to sit here and the husband to sit there and the kids to, you know, pose wherever they stood them. And there were rules of posing, I guess you could say. But then there's a whole lot more that happens. A person in the picture may lean just a little further away from the person they're standing next to. Mm. You know what I mean? But you don't want to read too much into it. I usually use those clues to ask the person who gave me the photo to look at some stories about what's happening in their family at this point in time. Or I often give my clients, they laugh when I say this, but I give you homework. So to, These are the things you need to think about outside of the photo, and these are the things you need to think about to do within the photo. And then the where they come together is the
1: story. And just the fact that you, um, you know, going back to the beginning of our interview, when you were talking about your mother um, bringing out the box of photos and telling you the stories and the fact that sometimes they were the same stories, sometimes it would lead her off into tangential stories. You know, that's exactly what we do that can be a very powerful tool for us in our life story work you know something that we can do with the clients when it comes time to start picking out the photos and also if somebody maybe doesn't remember certain things very well or they're having a hard time getting started even from the very beginning, you know, that can be a time to say, hey, let's look at some family photos. Um, let's look so- at some of the sh- snapshots from when you were younger or your family members. And just like you were talking about, Maureen, it's, it's can spur on those memories. Um, it's, it's a great tool to use.
0: It's an excellent tool to use.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, Okay, why don't you tell us, just because I'm so curious about this, a, a client hires you and they want, they want some more information about a photo or maybe they send you a collection of photos. Tell us, you're seeing something for the first time, where do you start and, and what are the steps that you take to, to give them what they want to, to really be the, do the detective work on the photo?
0: Well, obviously, I'm a pair of fresh eyes, right? I've never seen this picture before. So what I see is different than what you would see in your family photos, for instance, right? So I start there and I'm always looking for the unusual, something that stands out from the rest. What, what thing in that photo is unusual? Like the columns in, on that building behind the women with the funny hats or the, can be anything. It can be so many different things. And obviously, I'm going to talk about what type of photograph it is, and I'm going to talk about what they're wearing, and I'm going to talk about, you know, ask, I interview my clients as well about what they know about the picture, but also what they know about their family history. And then we go from there. And it can go in any direction. Like, like it's unbelievable sometimes what comes out of these consultations, the Big reveals about family history when we suddenly put the photo with all of the data that we have collected, or sometimes the photos that people have me look at predate what they know about their family history.
1: That must be really interesting for them to get an outsider's perspective on something that, you know, they potentially know nothing about. I I remember a long time ago reading something on, um, something that you had written. I think somebody had, so for Family Tree Magazine, wait, did I get that right? Family Tree Magazine? Yeah. So for Family Tree Magazine, uh, you, people, readers send in a photo, and then you do your detective work on it as part of your column. And it probably was in that. I can't remember for sure, but somebody had given you a photo and you looked at, um, you occasionally at, kind of quiz people. This might've even been on Facebook and you I think you said, what do you see in the backdrop? So not even the background, this was a studio photo. And um, you said, what do you see in the backdrop? So this is The backdrop that the photographer used. And that gave you clues as to, well, you tell me what the things like that, where most of us are absolutely going going to tune that out, you know. Um, What kinds of things do you see in backdrops and things that the photographer brings to the photo?
0: Well, sometimes the backdrops are really important. Like sometimes they're just decorative, right? They're just flowers and make that look like a fake outdoor setting, something like that. But oftentimes, many times the backdrops can give us clues as to where our ancestors stood because the backdrops actually reflect real places like people who go on vacation and they stand in a photo studio and in the background on the backdrop is a picture of, of the cliff house that used to be on the coast of California. And somebody's like, my family wasn't in California. I'm like, well, they were in California. (laughs) We (laughs) We have to find the link. And that's where the homework comes in. Here's what you need to do to try to figure it out. Or they weren't in that part of California. And I'm like, well, it looks like they went on vacation. Or they're posed in front of a beach scene. Or if you're trying to figure out if it's taken here or over there, it could be there's particular landscape things that are seen. So generally, the, the backdrops can either be decorative or they can be significant. And the photographer or the artist who painted it has chosen a landmark, something recognizable so that when they go home, everyone will say, oh, you saw the, I'm filling the blank. Right. Right. So I actually don't write those weekly columns for Family Tree Magazine anymore. Uh, but.
1: But I think they're available on the archive. So yes. if anybody has a Family Tree um, subscription. Right? Yeah.
0: They are yeah. still available online. They're just, right. uh, I'm not accepting new ones, I guess.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. And they're pretty fascinating. Um yeah. But your, your book, um, I don't have a copy of it, but I was looking through it online. Um, just even the table of contents, I can't believe how much you go into. It's incredibly thorough, it looks like. Um, and that book is, I think you just published it last year. Is that right?
0: A couple of years ago.
1: A couple of years ago. Yeah, okay. that's
0: the third edition.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, okay, I see. So if somebody um, if somebody like me who, not necessarily to apply this to our own photos, but if somebody like me is in the life story business and we want to have just a bit more knowledge, obviously we're not going to be the expert that you are, but we want to bring some knowledge and some skill to our clients who maybe have these photos and don't really know what to do with them, don't know how to interpret them. What are some of the things that we can learn um, as non-experts, but that can help our skill set.
0: Sure. Well, certainly there's a lot of information in my book, Family Photo Detective, and that leads you sort of step-by-step step through the process. And then I have a course called Identifying Family Photographs, but also if there are any personal historians and they find these, these images in their client's collections, I'm obviously happy to consult with the client and the personal historian, so we can do a group call mm. um, and talk about those pictures, and that way, there everyone's at the same table and we're all talking about the same information and looking at the same pictures. Pictures to me are endlessly fascinating, and each and every one of them, to me anyway, is a little bit different. There's always something I see because I look at photographs all day, every day. You know, mm-hmm. talk about an obsession.
1: <laughs> and it never gets old. I mean, I know you do this for uh, for your business. Do you ever think to yourself, "Oh, I just want a break from the from the visual images"?
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love are, the pictures. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. Um, what are so? You've talked about the reveals. Are do you have any? Do you have any really exciting ones that you could share with us? Something that uh, you were really happy to find out, and maybe the the client too.
0: I I don't know. I deal mostly in sort of ordinary questions. People have pictures, you know. And I went to a big outdoor antique show that we have here in New England um, last year, and a colleague of mine went with me and he's looking for something else. And I look, you know, for the pictures, of course. And I, I stopped in a booth and there was a, a picture on the counter. And I looked at it and I said, wow, I've never seen that before. And he goes, if you've never seen it, you need to buy it.
1: <laughs> 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 I came home with you- it.
0: <laughs> uh, he said, because you know, you're looking at pictures all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's some amazing stories that come out of the consults there's some really just heartwarming stories that come out of the consults you know who who's in a big group portrait and when you look at it and look at the context of the family history and you realize that you know some of those people are gone or were gone not too long after the picture was taken Mm -hmm. it somehow makes it I don't know Makes you actually sort of teary in a historical sense, mm,
1: and then I see that. yeah,
0: yeah, and some people discover unknown connections with places or historical events that they didn't know before, mm. or technology. Uh, one of the one of the photos I worked on, not you know a long time ago now, but it was a group of people posed in front of an airplane, an early airplane. And there were just a couple of letters visible. And by researching that airplane and, you know, pinpointing about when it was taken, it turned out it was this really cool plane that had a portable office in it. It runs the gamut. You know, I never get bored. There is people who have sent me images of uh, people in coffins, yeah. That's
1: what that was going to be a question that I was going to ask you about because that used to be a common um, custom, right? To have the the death picture. I don't know what you call it, but
0: it's still common. <gasps> it is. Wow. Yes, it has never gone out of style. Ever.
1: And that's where somebody's already laid out their body is already laid out in the coffin, and they're taking the photo of that. Yes. Boy. Okay. Yes. And
0: sometimes, you know, there were photographers who specialized in images of the deceased, and this is a common misconception. So every Halloween, there's some viral video that appears online, and it has a, you know, dozen photographs of people, and they're supposedly, they're all dead, right? And this is so creepy, and this is Halloween, so we're going to look at these. And... I look at them and I say, no, that person was alive at the time. That one was alive. That one was alive. Yep. That one's dead. Oh you know, my I mean, the thing, the thing to remember is death is never pretty. Right. No matter how much the photographer tries to fix it and make that person look alive they aren't never look alive.
1: Okay, so these photos where you could determine that it was a hoax that that person wasn't really dead. How, what are some of the hints?
0: Look at the eyes. Look at the body. I mean, these are again, photographers did have methods to sort of, you know, fill in the cheeks with cotton and and, you know, prop them up in chairs and things, but there is a collection of post-mortem fi- pictures online. If there's a doctor in New York City who actually collects such things, and he's done a number of museum exhibits and shows, and he has books on it. Uh, there's never any doubt when you look at them.
1: Oh, uh, that's really interesting. Never any doubt. Yeah.
0: I well, mean, death changes your, it changes your appearance.
1: Right. Right. You know, now that we're talking about this, I did take a picture of my mom right after she died as they were, and I was, I was standing on the porch of their house and the hearse had come and they were loading her body onto the hearse. And, um, I don't, I don't even know what prompted me to take it. And I can't look at it now because it just makes me way too sad. Um, right. but but there is a part of me that is glad that I have it, it and I, I can't even tell you why. <laughs> um, you know, why? Why would I be glad to have a photo that I can't even stand to look at? But, but I guess I guess that is, you know, presumably a human impulse to have that that last photo of them before, you know, before they go in the ground or before they're cremated.
0: Well, in the in the nineteenth century, it was, I mean, if you didn't have a chance to get a photograph of a person while they were alive for whatever reason, you would want a photograph of the deceased, especially children. You know, the, they're the most disturbing images of all. Like and at, at one point I worked on a client's image and it was three babies in a horse trough and two of them were dead. Oh, wow. And so the, the challenge was to find a set of triplets in the family in a, you know, I think it was the 1870s.
1: Was that must be hard. a great info though. You know, I mean, triplets. <laughs> if you're, if you see them, you're going to know that that's probably that set of children, unless of course they weren't even related and they were, co- or, or they were cousins or something like that, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. That's all So
1: um, just, you know, the things about uh, hints with clothing um, and the setting, uh, how, how did you learn to be able, I'm assuming that you can take some of, you know, ladies hats, say, and you can date something within a, you know, maybe a 10 year period or something like that was that just through study on your own and looking at old books or or how did you build that skill
0: so i have a collect, a library that i've built up over the years and i
1: okay wait i have to stop you there so i'm guessing you mean a library of photos or do you mean of books books oh okay but i oh,
0: also I, have a library of photos i have <laughs> thousands of pictures Seriously. i figured you would yes Right. The guest room closet <laughs> is full of pictures. Yes. Uh, and I've taken classes. I can't tell you how many, but classes on fashion history from fashion historians. I read things all the time.
1: I didn't and, uh, know that was even a thing fashion history.
0: It is a thing. Wow. It's a big okay. Thing. Wow. I love more than anything else to go to museum exhibits of for fashion and look at the clothing because the clothing in person actually looks a little bit different than it does in a photo. Oh. Plus you can see the back, right?
1: Right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I'm always
0: like, turn around, turn <laughs> around. <laughs>
1: through study and taking classes, you have gotten yourself to be able to recognize things that probably most of us would not. Right. And I am going to take that as an occasion to ask you about a few photos that I sent you. So um, I thought it would be fun to send a few of my own photos to you. And let you tell me what I'm not seeing in them. And we did this a very, very last minute, because of course, I didn't think about it until about an hour before I, I got on, you know, got on this, jumped on this interview with you. Um, but I sent you a few and uh, just and for the listeners, I will put links or not links, but I'll actually put the images in the show notes of this episode. Um, I sent you a few Maureen and they all came from a box, um, from my aunt Shirley who died quite a few years ago. And this box, there were no photo albums. This was literally just a pile of pictures and most of them had no kind of identifying marks on them. So let's, why don't you choose one of them and we'll, I'll tell you what I know about it. And then you can tell me what I'm not seeing.
0: Great. Let's go with two of them though.
1: Okay, even better.
0: So let's start with the parlor group.
1: the parlor group. Okay, I'm looking here. let me let me look at it on. So my... it is
0: three couples in an elaborate room. And there's I have lots of questions about this picture, but I also have questions for you about Aunt Shirley's box of photos. So if it's Aunt Shirley's box of photos, you don't actually know if it's the direct relations to you or was she married to her husband?
1: Right. Well, and that's that's an interesting question. So yes, I don't know anything, particularly this parlor photo. I mean, this is much older. Some of the newer photos in the box, um, you know, from maybe the 50s or the 40s. I can recognize my great aunts and great uncles. I can recognize my aunt and uncle and, you know, my my dad when they were younger. But this parlor photo, I have no information about. Now, my aunt Shirley was married to a Hatfield. So, a you know, of the Hatfield and McCoys. And he grew up um, in West Virginia. So, I would be surprised if this parlor photo uh, were from his family just because it doesn't look like it comes from a poor West Virginia um, Hatfield family but that's that's a big guess on my part
0: it's such this one is such a fascinating picture because there's all kinds of things happening in it okay well, let's,
1: so let's start by because this is just audio only so let Great. let me. Let's start by just describing it a little bit. Let me describe
0: it. So it is three couples. One couple is seated on an upholstered sofa with an ornate carving on the back of the chair. So it's like a little, it's a little sofa. It's a two person sofa. Everyone is not super dressed up, but they're dressed very nicely. There are floor to ceiling windows. It looks like they're, very large windows in the background with lace curtains. There's a painting on the wall behind uh, the people that are standing and the photographer has framed it. So you have the couple in the middle and then you have women on the outside and the two other men are in the middle. Mm -hmm. Although one is looking up to who knows why.
1: (laughs) He must've been the philosopher. He's being
0: (laughs) cool, right? He's being cool. And then there are lots of little details in this picture. So the man on the sofa has his hair. He's got very curly hair, a tiny little mustache. He has a white tie on and a formal jacket. But when you look at his feet, his feet are lace-up boots, very scuffed boots. And then the woman sitting next to him, on the sofa has these very large buttons and her dress, her bodice closes in an asymmetrical fashion and really tiny waistline on this woman, like super tiny. That woman is corseted in a, in a major way. And then she has a watch pinned to her dress. And that's interesting as well. My grandmother always posed with a watch and her sister did as well. And the story in the family is that they bought those watches themselves, that they had independent, they were independent women with employment. And that was a sign of it to have that pocket watch pinned to their, their dress. Interesting. And it's what's the most interesting part of this picture is the sleeves on the woman seated on the sofa, So she has the upper part of her sleeves come up in a big sort of knife pleat that stick up from the shoulder. And that generally signifies a dress from about 1890 and that asymmetrical with the large buttons does too. But there are details in this picture that are just a little bit funny. Like the two other women, have little suits on with puffy blouses, which you usually see around the turn of the century. So is the woman on the couch wearing an older dress? Is she wearing someone else's dress? Is this a wedding photo? Where are they standing? Is this someone's house? Or is this where they were married? Like the parish house, for instance. It's funny furniture as well. And there's a carpet. uh, There's a little, it looks like a needlepoint rug on top of the carpet on the floor. But there's three distinct couples. And one woman on the left-hand side of the picture is actually holding a handkerchief.
1: Oh, I didn't even notice that until you just said it.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you zoom in on the man on the sofa, he has this funny belt tied around his waist it's like a leather belt but it doesn't seem to go through any buckles and then it I don't know what that is like a tassel hanging from the belt buckle it's odd plus he has one sleeve folded back so one of his shirt sleeves is folded over the cuff of the jacket
1: yeah so I'm wondering if
0: he borrowed it Oh. It's a mix. The whole, his whole outfit is a mix of formal and not formal.
1: Which then makes it a little bit more um, feasible that this was from my uncle's family. If this is possibly not their home and possibly not their clothes, um, who knows what kind of what kind of socioeconomic standing they had, right?
0: Yeah, these are average people.
1: That's just so interesting because I looked at this and I thought, "Oh, they're kind of fancy." But I wasn't noticing the scuffed boots and I wasn't noticing the sort of disarray of some of, you know, the the sleeve being one sleeve in, one sleeve out, things like that. I don't want to spend too much time because people who are listening on audio can't see what we're looking at, but you've, you know, even the fact that you said that those were lace curtains. I didn't even, you know, to me, it's just there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. I didn't recognize that. I I probably would have seen that those were curtains. I didn't recognize that those were lace, and those would have been really big windows. Enormous
0: Um, windows, really tall windows. Right. The kind in a very formal house.
1: And one thing you said that it's unusual furniture. I have to say that it's exactly like my grandmother's furniture that she had until the day she died when she was 89. And she died in the mid 1990s. And she had a settee just like that with a carved background and sort of, I don't know if that's embroidered, um, uh, upholstery. Uh, and she had chairs like that. Now, I don't think these are the exact same ones. And the reason I remember is because it was just so darn uncomfortable. And, and we, the family, um, donated it to a historical home in some very small town in Missouri. So um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Okay. So what's the second one that we're going to talk about?
0: We are going to talk about the one you have labeled the accordion.
1: Okay. Now, this one I do know a little bit more about because it happens to be, um, well, the smiling lady in the middle. She's the only one that I I can um, identify for sure. But that was my great aunt Thelma. Mm -hmm. And they lived, Thelma and Alex. Alex was from Germany. So he had a heavy accent when I was, they both died when I was really young, but he, he, I do remember he had a heavy German accent and they lived in a little house in South St. Louis. And what I remember most about them, my dad said that he, they were very, very kind to him when they were, when he was growing up, but my sister and I remember them as being sort of cranky and When we would go to their house for Thanksgiving, they would not let us watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which came on every year at Thanksgiving. Um, But they always wanted to have football on. so they had this really tiny little um, overstuffed, you know, too much furniture with cigarette smoke, uh, tiny little, I guess, front living room where the TV was. Okay, so what are you seeing in here?
0: Well, this is just a really fun picture. So they're at a party. They're having a house party. They have folding chairs. Everyone's laughing. The woman that you recognize, she has said something funny because everyone is looking towards her and laughing.
1: Oh.
0: Right? Right. And that is likely her husband with the accordion and the little German cap on his head. <laughs> so he's entertaining everyone by playing the accordion. I think it's interesting. This is their living room, it appears. And if you look at the decorations, you've got that fake masterpiece on the wall of the boy um, holding the dog. And you could search that and and find out when that was popular.
1: Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah, you can
0: search that. They have on the radio that's in the picture. And there is a little radio standing on a small table that you could research when that radio was made. There's a little travel alarm clock on that table, which is interesting. And I did blow it up and it looks like it's like 10 after two. Oh
1: my God, you are genius. Right, (laughs) that,
0: that vase with those ceramic flowers, I mean, those aren't real flowers and they do look like they might be all ceramic flowers rather than fake flowers, but they could just be bake flowers. It was quite common to have artificial flowers in your house. You never had to replace them and everybody thought they looked great. And now, of course, that's long gone. <laughs> Who do you know had <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> artificial flowers in their house? And you even know something about what they do for fun in addition to playing the accordion and getting together with friends or family. And you have to ask yourself, so on the right-hand side of the picture is an older woman and a younger woman, and they look alike. And the younger woman has a child on her lap. So do we have three generations of a family here on the right-hand side of this picture?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't recognize any of them. Although, if I remember right, there are pictures that look like they might be from the same event, the same little gathering. And my mom, who at the time, my mom was gorgeous. She was just, she was wonderful and she was gorgeous. And there is a picture of who I'm assuming to be one of the older uncles with, and my mom is probably in her early 20s at the time. She's sitting on one leg on his lap and there's another, another young woman sitting on the other leg on his lap and they're all just laughing. And, you know, there, there was definitely a good time being had. And I'm so, pretty sure it's from the same event.
0: Right. So they also, on the top of the radio, have a double deck of playing cards.
1: Oh, that's what that is?
0: Yes. Oh,
1: boy. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's a double deck of playing cards. So we know this is a snapshot, right? But we don't know who took the picture.
1: Oh, So who's
0: behind the camera? And if you were to lay out all the similar images taken, like looking at what people wear and where, you know what I mean? Match up the clothing. You might have a whole many more photographs of the same day. It's unlikely they just took two.
1: And, you know, like you said, there's a child sitting on the one woman's lap. So we, and you said it was what, 10 past two. So we know it's not late at night party. No. It's not that kind of party. This is probably going to be a, a mid afternoon type of party. And why would they have been having it? And what was it celebrating? You know, was this Christmas or Thanksgiving? And um, Or yeah, maybe
0: I, just a get together.
1: Right, right. Because of course, you know, even when I was a kid, I re- nobody ever went out to restaurants for get-togethers, which is you know basically all we do now. Um, people would gather in each other's homes.
0: Someone always cooked.
1: And again, I don't want to spend too much time looking at this, just because the listeners can't see it unless they, you know, later on go look at the website. But um, so my aunt, who is standing there laughing, and and you're you're guessing that she said something funny because everybody's looking at her and laughing and in kind of an admiring way. Is that an apron that she's wearing? I can see stripes on the top of her dress and stripes at the bottom, but there's something in the middle. And I don't know if that's just the design of the dress or if that would be an apron.
0: I've been puzzling over that myself because the fabric seems to match the belt.
1: Oh, you're right. So that would not be an apron. But
0: when was your aunt born?
1: Oh, gosh, uh, let me think. Okay, my, my grandmother uh, was born in 1904, I believe, 1903 or 1904, um, and she would have, this, this aunt would have been around the same generation.
0: Okay, so she's born around 1903, 1904, and when were her parents married? Um. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Because I mean, I she has history. blonde curly hair. hmm That woman in the parlor has blonde curly hair.
1: Oh, okay. I'm going back to look at it. So the one sitting on the settee who is a little bit older than the, than the two other women in the parlor photo. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are good. Compare them.
0: I mean, I don't have them side by side, but you do the comparison and see if you think they look somewhat alike. And then here's your homework.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get homework? Wait, this is my podcast. That's not fair.
0: (laughs) You get homework.
1: (laughs) Okay. What's my homework?
0: Your homework is to look at the family tree and to see who these people in this photograph who may be getting married are. you know look at your aunt look at your aunt's family look at all the children and when they're born and estimate when their parents might have been married and maybe this is their her parents or her mother in this picture or an aunt doesn't have to be a wedding it could be they all gathered together for a party in this parlor group but
1: oh great
0: but when i looked at that curly hair and then i looked at this curly hair i was like well it could be a perm You know, they could both have perms, but compare the two faces and I think you'll see what I'm talking about.
1: All right. I will do that. Okay. I'm not going to do that. I I am going to ask my brother-in-law, Bob, to do this because right before we did the podcast. I got on your website and I saw that you have an online course. I think you have more than one. But so just to background it a little bit, my parents, like I mentioned, they both recently died. So in the past couple of years, they died. They died nine months within each other, nine months from each other. Um, And so then they had They didn't have a big estate, but it needed to be dealt with. And it was a surprise. My dad was the second to die. It was a very big surprise that he did die. So there were things that weren't quite in order. Um, And my brother-in-law was the, the executor of their estate. Uh, You know, he married into the family, but he's got a good brain for that kind of thing. And um, he did a wonderful job and it took him probably hundreds of hours. So the reason I am going into all of this is because I've been wanting to thank him for doing that. So when I saw your online course, I thought I'm buying this for Bob, which I just did. So, Bob, if you're listening to this, surprise he has become the family historian. He's very interested in genealogy, in researching things, um, and in photos. So, and I'm not talking about his family, although I think he's done that for them, but for our family, my sister and me, and our family. So, I I went ahead and I got this online video course, and now uh, I, I want you to talk a little bit about what people get when they sign up for this course. Um, And the one that I got was become your family photo detective course. So this could be part of his homework for, for doing that. (laughs) But why don't you tell us what that course entails and how it can be helpful specifically for life story professionals who want to get better at this kind of thing.
0: Right. So you're going to be looking at family photographs as a life story professional. It's, it's just part of the job. But you don't always know what you're looking for. So I have these two courses on identifying family photographs. They have two different prices because one of them is you just watch the course. The other one, the second one, which is more expensive, the $1.99 one, is one where you can upload a photo and take quizzes and apply what you've learned in that lesson to that photo. And then I see your answers and I can make suggestions.
1: And that's and really, the one that I got for for Bob that's because the I think he, right. I think that he is gonna love that. What will people walk away with after they do these courses?
0: My clients tell me that they, students tell me that they have learned more about their family photographs, and they feel more comfortable uh, identifying like what type of photograph it is or the resources that come with the course, then they move on from there to learn more about about photographs. You know, they use the resources to then learn more. I can't put it all in the course. That would take, I don't know, another Uh lifetime, I think. But they come away away knowing a lot more than they went into the course with.
1: Right, and like I mentioned, I think that would be a great skill for us to have um, as life story professionals. Um, because every, everybody has that box full of photos that they know nothing about. Um, I don't care how, how well organized anybody is. If they, even if they're organized with their own photos, they've gotten it from some family member who wasn't. So, um, to be able to look at them a little bit more knowledgeably, I think is a great thing that we can bring to our clients.
0: And I'm always here to ask.
1: Yes, and you are there to ask. So great. Uh, That is something that we haven't really talked about. You hire yourself out as a consultant, so you can have specific, if people have specific uh, photos that they need help with, they can reach out to you. And where do they find you?
0: So you can find me on my website, maureentaylor.com. And I have a consult service, and it says three photographs you know, is the limit, but that's not true. If you email me and say my client has an album and they have more than three, obviously there are discounts that apply. Cause I personally, like my my colleagues are like, why do you discount? I discount because I don't want these photographs to be thrown out. And I've heard too many horror stories of, People who go through their family collection, they pull out all the ones they know and they toss all the ones they don't without even like looking at them and comparing them. So my goal is to save the family photos. So I offer a pretty significant discount if there's more than nine photos, for instance.
1: Just one more time, I think we mentioned it at the beginning, but for our listeners to know that you also have a podcast, the Photo Detective Podcast, and I'm sure that's available on iTunes and on your website as well.
0: It's available on iTunes, and it is available, so it's a video that I record first, and then the podcast is just the audio, and some people prefer just the audio, but if you want to see what we're talking about on the video, those are on YouTube, on the Photo Detective channel.
1: And that does it for our interview with Maureen Taylor, the photo detective. To see links to everything that we were talking about and to find Maureen's website and the courses that she offers, head over to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 57. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go out and save someone's story.